one that, uh, that you know, and hopefully we know, uh, then we can go ahead and sing a verse and chorus of that. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. Dear God, I thank you for giving us another gorgeous day. Thank you for the warmth. Thank you, God, um, that you are in control of the seasons and you hold this whole world uh, in your hand, God, and you're the one who's in total control of everything. I pray that you would uh, be honored and glorified with the singing and, uh, and that your word would go, go out uh, in the preaching. Thank you, God, for giving us this time to come together. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. Who would like to be first for the popcorn selection of music? Yes, ma'am, Miss Isla Faye. 580? 580. Through it all. Would you mind reading the verse? Thank you. Let's go ahead and stand. In all honesty, I'm not totally sure if I know this one. It doesn't look too difficult, but we'll give it a whirl. <laughs> somebody else to pick and then then we'll come back four hundred and eighty four hundred and eighty only trust him would you mind reading the verse thank you thank you <clears throat> let's go ahead and do the first verse and the chorus of four hundred and eighty only trust him. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy. Oh. 
Pastor JL. 577? In times like these, would you mind reading the verse with that one, sir? Thank you, sir. Thank you. In times like these, 577, first verse and the chorus. Yes, ma'am. 505. 505. He touched me. Would you mind reading the verse? Thank you. Thank you. Let's go ahead and sing the first verse and the chorus. 505. <clears throat> Shackled by a heavy burden, beneath the load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the Is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Could you read the verse with that one? Thank you. Thank you. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. 581. Let's go ahead and do the first verse and the chorus.
Good evening. How's everybody? How many came to be encouraged? How many would take a rebuke? All right, we're going to learn something tonight. I hope we're going to look in the Gospel of Luke. I invite your attention there. Appreciate this opportunity to be here. Brother Mike, thanks so much. Let's look tonight at, at the prayer life of Jesus. You know, there's 26 references to Jesus praying in the Gospels, at least 26 so there's much to be learned here. The Bible says, never a man prayed like this man, referring to Christ, but it might well have been written, never a man prayed like this man. So I want us to dive in here and keep your Bible handy. We're going to look at several portions, but I want you to notice what I'm calling the preeminence of prayer in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The preeminence of prayer in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Stand to your feet if you would, please. Luke chapter 3. Verse 21, let's, uh, let's read this out loud together. Luke 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 21, together. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open. Now, when I was uh, 10 or 11, uh, I, I got confirmed in the Methodist church, so they sprinkled water on my head. I, I knew nothing happened because I went home that afternoon and cursed my brother out, and I said to myself, this is not real. I mean, I had enough sense to know I had not been converted. I went off to a youth camp. How many ever heard of Church of Christ, Christian Church, baptismal regeneration? Went off to a youth camp. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. Well, that's all they had to say. And I thought to myself, well, I've, I've been saved. And they said, well, you're not saved. I said, well, why not? Repent and be baptized. And I said, well, God answers my prayer. They said, well, God will answer your prayer even if you're not saved. Well, repent and be baptized, every one of you, Acts 2.38, for the remission of sins. I said, I don't think this is right, but just in case, I got it when it got dumped again. All right, I, so there, there I was. And then the third time, the third time, it was the Independent Baptist Church I did not get baptized for the remission of sin. I got baptized because of the remission of sin and identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. But I remember that. That was a, a thought-provoking for me, those experiences. But the Bible says that Jesus being baptized was praying. Now, baptism for Jesus, I know you're standing. Baptism for Jesus was a crisis moment because it was a prophecy of his imminent death, burial, and resurrection. When Jesus got baptized, it was a crisis moment because it was a foretelling, a prophecy of his coming death, burial, and resurrection. And in that crisis hour, Jesus was praying. He was preeminently a praying man. 
Lord, have something for every heart tonight. We give you praise with expectation for Christ's sake. All God's people say it. You can be seated. I'll stay standing. The preeminence of prayer in the life of Jesus. Now, Jesus was baptized in prayer before he got baptized in water. He was immersed in communion with his heavenly Father before he got immersed in the Jordan River. And I would say uh, there's so much you could say of Jesus that if you tried to say everything, the whole world could not contain the books that could be written about him. But above every other thing and behind every other thing, uh, Jesus was first and foremost a praying man. Now, Jesus preached, but he prayed first. He cast out devils, but he prayed first. He uh, uh, healed people, but he prayed first. He did his Father's will, but he prayed to blood in Gethsemane before he did it. I believe that Jesus lived in an atmosphere of prayer. He lived in a climate, an environment, an aura of prayer. Now, you know, when we send our astronauts into space, we don't send them up there unprepared. They have to have the atmosphere of Earth in order to exist. You put a human being in space with no oxygen, he will die. You take a fish out of water, it will die. I took my grandson, uh, John, he's my, one of my fishing buddies, uh, striper fishing. And uh, we were down there fishing, and, uh, and he, we, caught, we, caught, we caught some. Praise the Lord, we caught some. And uh, he wanted to keep one. So, you know, a striper, they're pretty hardy kind of fish. I mean, they're just thrashing all over the place. But after it had been out of water for a little bit, it wasn't thrashing at all. And then after, maybe the tail was twitching, but after a couple of three minutes, nothing's going on. He's dead. You take a fish out of water, it will die. You take a human being out of Earth's atmosphere, he will die. You take a Christian out of prayer, and he will die. What's the first thing to go when a man meets him? gets away from God. Attending church on Sunday? No. What's the first thing? Isn't it his prayer life? And what's the first thing that returns when a man meets God afresh? Is it not his prayer life? Raven Hill said, no man is any greater than his prayer life, no woman is any greater than her prayer life, and no church will ever exceed its corporate prayer life. Jesus was preeminently a praying man. But notice the practice of prayer. Look over at Luke 5. Flip over. Luke 5, verse 15. Luke 5, verse 15. But so much the more there went a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So here people are coming to Christ for healing. Verse 16. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. So people are coming to Christ, but Christ is off to the wilderness for prayer. The practice of prayer. Look in chapter 6 and verse 12. Chapter 6 and verse 12. It came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Wow. All night in prayer. Mark 1, he was up long before sunrise for prayer. Study where Jesus prayed. You'll find he liked to go to the mountains, to the garden, to the wilderness, and to the desert. Study the posture he prayed in as far as his physical frame was concerned, you'll find sometimes he prayed while standing, other times he prayed while kneeling, and yet other times, like in Gethsemane, he prayed prostrate down on his face, showing us it's not the posture of your body that counts as much as it is the disposition of your heart that counts when you pray. Prayer is not confined to some sort of an external uh, a form or posture, it's a heart situation. 
And I believe that a praying heart is one of the great evidences of salvation. You know, when my children were small, they couldn't uh, form sentences. They couldn't articulate. They couldn't verbalize their desires. But even children can communicate to their father's heart. I'd be standing in church, Brother Mike, talking to people. And all of a sudden, my children would come waddling up, you know, and they would do this number right here. Tug on the old trousers. What did they want? My attention. I'd look down. What did they do? Threw up their hands. You heard about the Pentecostal cannibal? He threw up his hands. That was a joke. I, I think we need, you know, you need to lighten it up here tonight. You know, you know, pretty sober. But, but anyway, they, they threw up his hands. Now, what did my children want? Hey, Dad. <laughs> I'm down here, uh, pick me up. Now, they couldn't say that. They couldn't articulate. They couldn't verbalize, but they could communicate with the heart of their father. And if you're born of God, there's something in you that cries out to something in God. It's the spirit called Abba, Father, which means up, Daddy, up. And I believe that a praying heart is one of the evidences of genuine salvation. Now, Jesus said when you pray, don't do to make, it, make a show out of it. Go into your secret chamber and pray to your Father, and your Father will reward you openly. Every great achievement in the life of Christ was preceded by prayer. You check this out. Every great achievement in the life of Christ was preceded by prayer. He prayed and fed 4,000. Miracle. He prayed and fed 5,000. It was a miracle. He prayed and walked on water. Miracle. He prayed and Lazarus came out of the grave. Miracle. Every great achievement in the life of Jesus was preceded by prayer, but even more amazing, every great achievement in the life of Jesus was proceeded by prayer. He didn't stick around and bask in the popularity of the crowds. I don't think they were signing Bibles because nobody had one in those days, but, but he would always slip off to the quiet place, I think, to thank the Father for showing himself strong on his behalf. He practiced prayer continually. He was preeminent in prayer. Number three, I want you to notice the solitude or the aloneness of prayer. Now look over in Luke chapter 9. Here's an interesting verse. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. This is the aloneness or the solitude of prayer. Now look at what it says in Luke 9, 18. In fact, read the first half out loud with me, please. Now, there are no contradictions in the Bible. However, there are some apparent contradictions. They look like contradictions on a surface level, and here's one of them. Read it out loud, see if you can discern it. Luke 9, 18, together please. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were, stop right there. Hmm. Now wait a minute. It came to pass, as Jesus was alone praying, the disciples were with him. How could Jesus have been alone praying if the disciples were with him? Here's what I think. Here was Jesus. He was aware that God the Father was there. Here's the disciples aware that Jesus was there. Uh, but, but Jesus was unaware the disciples were there. Jesus was caught up in such an unquenchable concentration uh, with his heavenly Father. He was oblivious to the fact other human beings were around. He was alone praying. All the disciples were with him. Now, the disciples were with him, but he wasn't with them. He was shut up. In, a, in, in, in an unshakable uh, focus upon his heavenly father. He was alone praying. Now, uh, somebody said, true prayer is when your awareness of God exceeds your awareness of men. 
True prayer is when you're more aware of the presence of God than the people listening. Uh, don't ever use prayer time as a preaching forum. Don't ever use prayer time to try to outpray the other guy. <laughs> I've been in some places where they have, you know, they turn it up, brother, and it, it, you know, it's almost a contest uh, to see who can uh, be the loudest or say the most unique things. No, no, no. True prayer is when your awareness of God is greater than your awareness of men. And that's why when you pray, whether you're out here on the riverbank or you're in a prayer meeting with 200 people, uh, when you pray, it's just you alone with God and you're not praying for the ears of men. We're not praying to get men's attention. We're praying to get God's attention. Uh, uh, the, the ear of God is the goal of prayer, said Charles Spurgeon. So, so it's the aloneness, the solitude of prayer. I was in a prayer meeting one time and up in Maine, we had a touch of God in a little uh, paper mill town. And um, we had people coming and fasting and praying. We'd have 60, 65 people coming in a small town to fast and pray. One afternoon, this guy was over there, this younger guy in dark hair. He was over there, here's what he said. He said, dear God, he said, oh God, he said, God, I'm willing to do anything to get right with you, Lord, even if I have to go to jail. Well, he was alone praying. We were with him, but he wasn't with us. Man, he was lost in wonder. He was lost in prayer. I'm just telling you, he was focused upon God. He was oblivious to the fact we were even existent. And that's the kind of praying that gets the ear of God. It's the solitude of prayer. It's the aloneness of prayer. So, uh, Richard, uh, who was it? Um, McShane said, what a man is alone on his knees, that's what he is. The aloneness, the solitude of prayer. Now look at what I'm calling the alteration of prayer in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Here's the transfiguration, uh, the transformation, or the alteration of prayer. Luke 9, 28. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James, went up into the mountain to do what? They went up there to pray. Verse 29, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. Look at that. Alteration was altered. His raiment was white and glistering. Now, Jesus was transfigured not while he was given the Sermon on the Mount, but while he was praying. The fashion, the very facial expression of Jesus, man, was transfigured. His raiment began to sparkle. Can you imagine? And uh, it, it happened, one when it happened, while he was praying. There's no place as transforming as the place of prayer. Now listen, you go to church for 100 years and sit under preaching and not be changed. You can do the preaching and not be changed. But there's no way you're going to come judgment day honest with God continually, regularly, without being changed. There's no place as transforming as the place of prayer. Uh, uh, a pastor said to me in Maine, he said, he said, Harold, I've been praying three months for a revival in my church. But he said, God hadn't done a single thing for the people I prayed for. But he said, my, how God has worked me over since I really started seriously praying. So the first person to be changed by prayer is not the person prayed for, but the person doing the praying. Any of y'all ever try to sick, sick God on people? I used to try to sit God on all, all, when I became a Christian. Oh, God, change so-and-so. And I'd try to get God to go out and 
And I prayed for a long time and nothing ever happened. And, I, and one day it dawned on me, hey, Harold, uh, and, and nothing's happening because of your praying for them. Maybe something needs to happen to you. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, maybe our motivation needs to change. Amen. Maybe our focus, our perception. And, and, and if you've been praying, and, but nothing as much is happening, well, Lord, what needs to be changed in me? And I'm telling you, there's no place as transforming as the place of prayer. Prayer is not uh, getting God to do my will in heaven. Prayer is not getting God to do my will in heaven. Prayer is how God gets me to do his will on earth. Prayer is not overcoming reluctance in God. Prayer is not strong-arming deity to do what I want him to do. What is prayer? Prayer is where we come into, into, a, into a moral change as we encounter the living God. There's no place as transforming as the place of prayer. Uh, P.T. Forsyth said, we do not pray in order to live the Christian life. We do not pray in order to live the Christian life, but rather we live the Christian life in order to pray. You got nothing more important than developing a meaningful relationship with God. Now, you know... You know, uh, prayer really doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. And this is not an external uh, imitation, but an internal transformation. I like 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. But we all with an open face. What does this mean? An unveiled face. Beholding is in a mirror of the glory of the Lord were changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. Now, God doesn't change us all at one time. I don't care what somebody tells you. It's not a, it's not a one time fixes everything. Okay? He changes us a little bit at a time. It's from glory to glory. And you know, these people that uh, tell you that you can have one gigantic cataclysmic experience that will set you up from here to eternity and you'll walk in a pink fog and you're levitating off the ground and you're never going to have another problem. I have not found it so. I, I have not found it so. But I have found that God changes us, not all at one time, but a little bit at a time. Get a little more insight here, a little more, oh yeah, really? Hmm. I was unaware of this. And here we are being changed as we come into God's presence. If you would spend 20 minutes a day alone with God, 20 minutes a day alone with God for four months, you might not notice any difference, but the people you live with would notice a difference because there's no place as transforming as the place of prayer, is the alteration of prayer. Now think about it this way. If the Son of God, if the very countenance his expressions. If he had a facial overhaul, I made me think that maybe we could do with one every now and then. I'm not talking about a cosmetic thing, but I'm telling you, if you ever stand up in front of congregations and try to preach to people, sometimes you're going to have a hard time finding a, a glad countenance. And the reason is because there's people are so burdened. They're, I used to think these people are as hard as rocks. No, they're not hard as rocks. With, with they're carrying some, and they're burdened down. And that's why we need some encounters with God that changes our heart, our spirit, and even our look. It's the alteration, the transformation of prayer. Now look at this one right here. 
thankfulness and prayer. Flip over to Luke 22. Luke 22. You're going to like this. Luke 22, verse 17. Thankfulness in prayer in Christ's life. Luke 22, 17. And Jesus took the cup and gave what? Uh, Jesus took the cup and gave what? Uh, everybody say it. And he took the cup and gave what? Thank you very much. He gave thanks. Now, what was this cup? That was the representation of his blood, which was about to be spilled. So what's he doing? He's thanking God for his death before it happens. I find that amazing. Now, look in verse 19. He took the bread and gave thanks and said, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. So he took the bread, symbolic of his body, which was going to be torn on the cross, and he gave thanks in advance for his own broken body and his own shed blood. Now, brother, sister, if he could thank the Father for his own death, can't we find about five million things to say hallelujah about and thank God for. You know, happy people are not thankful people. Thankful people are the happy people. And count your blessings, name them one by one. Instead of counting your blunders, try counting your blessings. And sometimes instead of asking for stuff, don't ask for nothing. Just thank Him. Maybe on Wednesday night, here's a revolutionary idea. Not one single human request. <laughs> But just hallowing the name of God, uh, uh, asking for the expansion of the kingdom of God and the implementation of the will of God and thanking God in advance before anything happens. How many things did God might get be pleased with that kind of a prayer meeting? Uh, thanking God in advance. Now, in everything, give thanks. Uh, giving thanks always for all things, Ephesians 5, 5.20. Uh, so you don't not thanking God because everything is great. You're thanking God because God's great. And, and, and it's the gratitude principle. I'm just I'm just telling. You, I got so depressed one time. <laughs> I, I I took a sheet of paper, and, and Philippians chapter four and verse eight says that uh, whatever things are, can you help me out with those that list? True, honest, just, pure, lovely. You're good, brother. I mean, you know, that's right. That's a good report. Any virtue, any print. There's eight categories, okay? So I put all those things down on a piece of paper. Just, honest, good, good report. I, I, I put them all down there. And then I went back, and I tried to think of things in my life that were worthy to be thought upon. Because if, they if they're not true, if they're not just, if they're not pure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we shouldn't be thinking about it. So I just sat down there and tried to think of things that were true, things that were honest, things that were pure. You know, that eliminates 98% of everything you think about right there, just those three right there before you go any farther. And, and, and I struggled to come up with stuff that was worthy of my meditation and obsession. In fact, the first couple of days, all I could think about that qualified was Jesus in heaven. That's all I could think about. That's how, that's how low I was. So my perspective was so bad. I'd sit there in my chair in my sunroom. I'm, I'm not making this up, and I would struggle to come up with stuff. And then one day, I came up with, uh, 
he, something that was just and honest. You know what it was? Marriott Hotels, they're great on their giveaway rewards program. And I said, they do what they say they're going to do. That's better than Ford Motor Company. I'm just telling you right now, it's a whole lot better than some of these businesses. It's a whole lot better than some professing church crooks. Uh, and I, mean, I, I couldn't think of nothing. But I, I thought, hey, I'm putting that down there. They're honest. Then I begin to think, oh, yeah, Pastor Alderman, he's a just man. And, and I got a few things. But I was pretty much stuck on Jesus in heaven is all that I could think about that was worthy to think of in my life. But I kept on doing this. And every day I come up with more stuff. Are you with me? I come up with more things that were worthy of thought. And I, I begin to realize, wait a minute. My, my perspective is so distorted. I got a thousand things that's worthy of my preoccupation and my meditation. But I had to write them. I did this for 40 days, brother. And after about three or four weeks, I begin to say, hey, I'm better off than I thought I was. I do have stuff in my life that's worthy of this. And I'm just telling you, you, got, you get to choose what you think about. You didn't get to choose your parents. They didn't get to choose you neither. Uh, but, but we get to choose what we uh, think about. And gratitude goes a long ways with God. You know when you do nice stuff for people, it's nice to hear a thank you. You know, we have given away thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of books. And you know what? It's rare for somebody to say thank you. It's very, very rare. Now, we're going to keep on giving away books because we're not doing it for the kudos know-how. But I want to tell you something. God is impressed when his children enter into his gates every day with thanksgiving. It's gratitude in prayer. If you can't think of nothing else to say, if, I mean, if you've got nothing else to say, thank you, Lord, I'm not going to hell. If, if, you got, if you had a heart attack, thank God you don't have cancer. If you got cancer, thank God you didn't have a heart attack. If you had a heart attack and have cancer, you ought to thank God you're alive. Think of something. I mean, just think of something uh, to thank God about, and I'm very serious about this. Because happy, grateful people are happy people. Grumbling people are not happy people. And we're a whole lot easier to live with when we're entering into his gates with thanksgiving. Anybody with me on that point right there? Say, that was an excellent point, Brother Harold. Go ahead and say that. Yes, thank you very much. It was a good point, wasn't it? Now, so gratitude in prayer. <laughs> now, look at this one right here. Uh, intensity in prayer. Look in chapter 22, verse 39. Chapter 22, verse 39. Intensity in prayer in the life of Jesus. Luke 22, 39. And he came out, Christ came out and went, as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. He was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and prayed. And he gasped out this prayer. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He died in Gethsemane to, before he ever died on Calvary. Verse 43, And there appeared an angel from heaven uh, strengthening him. Verse 44, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In agony, he prayed more earnestly. Jesus agonized in prayer. He labored in prayer. He wrestled in prayer. 
Hebrews says, with strong crying and tears, he made intercession. Strong crying and tears. You know what I've heard people say? Brother Harold, we don't need to be so excited when we pray. Tell that to the Son of God. Strong crying and tears. Well, we don't need to be so emotional when we pray. Tell that to the Son of God. And I know it ain't like that all the time, but sometimes it ought to be like that. Some intense dealings with God, okay? By the way, I was doing a podcast the other day, and they were interviewing me on revival, and I began to rehearse some of the revival things that we've seen. And as I was sitting there, my heart was burning as I rehearsed it, and it dawned on me, I'm backslidden. I'm backslidden. Because I got so excited even rehearsing and thinking about these precious moments when heaven kissed, uh, kissed earth. And I'm sitting there thinking, why am I so preoccupied with the here and now when I ought to be setting my affections and my minds on things above and not on things on the earth? Intense dealings with God. I, I've discovered this, that if we don't have a wake-up call periodically, we go to sleep pretty quick, some of us. And if we don't have a divine interruption and a moral reset, we can doze off, at least I can, fairly quickly. Intense dealings with God. Now listen, Jesus was not an entertainer. I don't think he's bopping around from rock to rock, bopping people upside the head and putting on a sideshow. And I, I just don't believe that. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't entertain people by the way he spoke. He spoke as one that had authority. And he kept their attention by the content of what he said. But you know, I, I, I don't believe Jesus was exhausted when he completed the Sermon on the Mount. I don't think he was exhausted after he told Lazarus to come forth. But I do believe that he was spent spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically after this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane because in agony he prayed more earnestly. So intense was his prayer, he hemorrhaged blood, apparently. Sweat as there were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You're talking about intensity in prayer for crying out loud. I mean, this is serious. So this tells me that the Son of God, he was uh, earnest in prayer, earnest in prayer, intended to be easy in ministry. You know what I notice about us, about me? I tend to be the opposite, earnest in ministry, but very often very easy in prayer. I mean, what he was most in, we tend to be the least in. Now, now, now listen to this. John Bunyan said, when you pray, rather let your heart be without words than your words without heart. You, you, know, you know, somebody asked Stephen Olford how he built that Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. You know what he said? Bent knees. Wet eyes, broken hearts. Bent knees, wet eyes, broken hearts. You know the thing that marked the independent Baptists back in the 70s when things were hopping and popping? You know what, you know what characterized those churches? Bent knees, wet eyes, broken hearts. Does anybody remember that? I remember going to that church our parents were all lost. Our families were on their way to hell. And I remember many, many, many times we would get up at the altar and we would weep and sob our guts out, asking God to have mercy on our friends and our families. I mean, it was the, it was the order of the day. Now, I'm going to recommend this. Your church is coming into a new season. 
You know the best thing that could happen as your new pastor comes in here? If he could find a crowd that had bent knees, wet eyes, and broken hearts. And if we could allow him to get in the presence of God and allow God to tenderize us, eh? sensitize us, energize us. And that's, go that's going to happen when we have intense dealings with God. Sick people need, need intensive care. Sick Christians need intensive prayer. And I know not every prayer meeting is intense, but there should be some that are. I believe that with all my heart. And if the Son of God prayed like that, shouldn't we have prayer meetings like that on occasion? Are you with me here tonight? Intensity in prayer. But i got to encourage you with this one, and that's continuance in prayer in the life of Jesus. Continuance in prayer. Hebrews 7, 25, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever lives to make intercession for them. He ever lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lived by prayer. He died in prayer. On the cross, what was he doing? He was praying. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God turned his back on him. What was he doing? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Even in hell, he was still praying. Then the greatest three-word announcement ever made was not for human ears, but it was for God's ears. It is finished. Redemption is complete. The price is paid. It is finished. And the last thing he ever did on the earth, what did he do? Into thy hands. I commend my spirit. He gave up the ghost. He died in prayer. He lived in prayer. He was baptized in prayer. But guess what? He's still praying. The Lord Jesus is still praying. Now, he said to Peter, Satan's desire to sift you like a bag of wheat, but be of good cheer. I have prayed for thee. Now, was it Peter's promises of undying loyalty that got him through? Though all men forsake you, I'll even die for you. How'd he make out? First promise keeper. <laughs> what a failure. C cursing, swearing, carrying on. Within 24 hours. And our promises ain't no more better, better than his. I, I, I'm just telling you, it wasn't I, his promises. It was Jesus' prayers. He said, I, I, be of good cheer, I have prayed for thee. But he not only prayed for Peter in advance, he prayed for all believers in advance. In John 17, that's the Lord's Prayer, by the way, John 17. I pray not for these only, but for those also that will believe on my name through their word. He prayed for all believers in advance, if nowhere else. In John 17, I think he looked down through the annals of time and he prayed for us before we ever came into being. I mean, here he is. He's, I pray for them also that will believe on my name through their word. He prayed for us in advance, which, boy, that's encouraging. But even more encouraging, he's still at it. What's he doing? You know, you know. how many know that some of the songs we sing south of the Mason-Dixon line are really stupid? How, I mean, how many know some of the songs are really, really pretty bad, you know? That, and, you know, a mansion on the hillside in glory. and Really? And I've heard people say, well, you know, he's been, he's been in heaven for 2,000 years. Those mansions ought to be, due to, you know, Trump, Trump. Plaza or something, you know, they ought, they ought to be really something. As if, as if Jesus has got on a yellow helmet running a construction project 
And because of the length of it, boy, there's really going to be something. No, that's not, that, that, is, that has got nothing to do with anything. He spoke the world into existence in seven days. We believe this. He spoke eternity into existence. Just like that. So what's he doing then? Well, he's at the Father's right hand. What's he doing? Ever living to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, if nobody else called your name before the throne of God, I got texts this morning, Pastor Mike. People said, I called your name in prayer today. Wow, what a blessing. But if nobody else called my name in prayer, I got one seated at the Father's right hand who ever lives to make intercession. You know what I think he's saying? Father, you know, uh, Harold needs some real help. So send some angels. I believe this. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So here the Lord Jesus is praying for us. That ought to warm our hearts. Now, think of it this way. Uh, Jesus ever lives to make intercession. The Holy Spirit uh, makes intercession with groanings that can't even be uttered. Friend, if you're born of God, you've got two of the three of the Trinity praying for you, and if you've got two of the three of the Trinity praying for you, everything's going to be all right. We're in good hands, brother and sister. We're in good hands here. He's praying for us. Listen to this quote. Oswald Sanders, 30 years of living, 30 years of living, three years of serving, one tremendous act of dying, 2,000 years of praying. What an emphasis on prayer. Incarnate once, died once. Now what's going on? Ever living to make him. He's our high priest, amen. Thank God we got an advocate at the Father's right hand, ever living to make intercession for us. And he's going to see us through to the end of the way. Now look, some of us are going through hard times. Cheer up. Cheer up. We have an advocate. We got somebody that knows us. And he's praying for us. And, and brother, he's right in our corner. Uh, you know, the disciples were so impressed with Jesus' prayers. In Luke 11, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I think what they were saying is, we don't know anything about praying. Probably most of what we know is wrong. So, Lord, teach us to pray. I believe that uh, we've got to be willing to unlearn what we never should have learned in order to learn what we should have learned in the first place. Teachable people have to unlearn wrong stuff. And when we're willing to unlearn what we never should have learned, then God can teach us what we should have learned from the get-go. And this is a good, very good prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Would you, would you say that out loud? Lord, teach us to pray. Would you pray that to the Father, heart of God? Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I, if I prayed that once. I prayed that thousands of times. Thousands. Because I knew I didn't know anything. But I wanted to know something. So, Lord, teach me. Teach us to pray. I'm telling you, the prayer life of Jesus. What an example. What a lesson. But what a rebuke. If the Son of God, sinless Son of God, prayed like this, well, what about us, redeemed sinners? Ought not we be praying it tonight? Lord, teach us to pray. You know the truth of the matter is, 
you can't work this up. You can't, you can't sort this out. This is not a matter of intellectual, cerebral understanding altogether. It, it's a matter of the Spirit of God who lives within inside of all his people instructing us, guiding us, and teaching us to pray according to the precepts of the Word of God. So here's a little challenge. Lord, teach us to pray. Start with the model prayer. The model prayer. Our Father. Our. It's a, it's a communal prayer. It's a family prayer. Hallowed, set apart, sanctified, magnified, exalted, be your name. Lord, your name is holy. Lord, your kingdom come. Lord, your rulership, your lordship. You know, everybody wants a savior. How many people want a king in the church of God in America anyhow? I mean, where, where's the lordship stuff teaching anymore? We're so afraid of it. You know, I don't know why. I, by the way, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So why don't we start praying, Lord, let your, let your authority be expanded. Let your rulership take precedence. Lord, may your uh, kingly authority be extended in time into the family of God, into our family, into our home, into my heart, Lord, into our church. Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, teach us to pray like that. Lord, let your will be implemented on earth as it is in heaven. I really believe the purpose of prayer is to implement the will of God upon the earth. That's the whole purpose of prayer. Now, God has a will. Some people talk about the permissive will of God and the perfect will of God. Let me just say, say this to you real quick. If you're not in the perfect will of God, you're not in the will of God at all. Personally. Well, God will permit all that. No, you, God has a will. Let his will be implemented upon the earth. I know God lets some stuff go on, but what I'm telling you is this. When it comes to moral issues, you're either in the will of God or you're out of it. Does anybody believe that here? I mean, do you believe that? That's just the truth. So we ought to be praying, God, let your perfect will come and be implemented, God, in time, right now, right here. I ain't got no time to waste. A bunch of us sit here, we don't got 20 years to sort this out. We need something this week. <laughs> we need something now. We need something this moment. We need something immediately. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a, God, that's a, that's a paradigm shift. Because uh, instead of asking all the time, we ought to be thanking a lot of the time, and we ought to be praying according to the model prayer, the categories for God first, and then pray for daily bread. Then pray for forgiveness of sins. Then pray for deliverance from evil. How many noticed that in the model prayer, man's stuff comes after stuff for God? God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. Start there. Don't start with your stuff. Start there, and then we get over to what we want. Amen? And, and God loves to do that too, and I'm not against that. I'm for that. I'm just telling you. Most prayer meetings are all about our stuff and nothing about God's stuff. And the reason the prayer meetings are dying is because they're problem-centered instead of God-centered. So we got to get away from a problem-centered uh, focus to a God-centered focus, and we can do that by coming into his gates with thanksgiving all the time, hallowing his day, uh, praying for his kingdom to become, praying for his will to be implemented, and then we begin to intercede for the stuff that's burdening our hearts. Are you with me here tonight? So we start with God's concerns, then we move toward uh, uh, man's concerns. We start with heaven's
concerns first, and then we move toward earth's concerns. And, and all are important, but order is everything. And, and, and this evening, if the Son of God, I say it again, if the Son of God prayed like this, shouldn't we be praying with hot hearts and fervent spirits and grateful souls? So that's why tonight we can pray that prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. How many cents you need to pray that prayer tonight? Come and see your hand. Lord, teach us to pray. Let's stand tonight. Let's do it this way tonight. Let's do something different. How about just uh, some very brief, 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 brief prayers, uh, asking God to teach us to pray, or prayers of hallowing the name of God, praying for the kingdom of God to come, and for the will of God to be implemented, just some God-focused uh, petitions. Could we just pray like that for a few minutes? Now look, we're spread out, so you need to pray like really loud and brief concise but let's just pray some god focused prayers tonight and ask god to teach us to pray okay we good with this all right you pray as you feel led pray loud enough to where we can join in so you'll have to kind of yell it out father lord lead us right now as we approach you in prayer Brief prayers of gratitude. How about thank you, Lord, for? Lord, teach us to pray. Thank you for teaching us to pray now.
let's express our gratitude to God in a, in a prayerful song from your heart to God's heart. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Could we pray, pray that, sing that as a prayer from our heart to God? Thank you, Lord. All right, 30 seconds of intercession. Lord, teach us to pray. Just cry out to the Lord. Brother Michael, come in and he will give us further direction for tonight. But let's just have 30, 40, 50 seconds of uh, intercession. Oh, God, teach us to pray. From your heart to God's heart. 